on February 8th, there was a routine chapel service on a Wednesday morning. You probably know the story. The chapel service went like any other. There was worship. There was teaching. The only difference was that the chapel service didn't end. It kept going into the evening, and then it kept going into the next day, and then it kept going into the next week, and it lasted like two weeks or more, and it was called the Asbury Revival. Some call it awakening, outpouring, whatever you want to call it. And the thing is, it went viral on uh, all sorts of social media, but especially on TikTok. Uh, We did some really rough estimations, and something like 129 million posts or, or mentions of the Asbury Revival on TikTok. 129 million. It was amazing. Uh, a week later, February 12, there was the Super Bowl. I'm sure you've heard of that one. And during the, the middle of the Super Bowl, during the commercials, there was an ad campaign called He Gets Us, which is all about reintroducing Christ to people who may not know him, trying to um, help the image of Jesus with the next generation. And it was said that there was something like 400 million views throughout this entire campaign. I don't know exactly how many watched during the Super Bowl, but I'm told it's a lot. And um, it was just remarkable, all about who Jesus is. Finally, on February 24th, uh, a movie came out called Jesus Revolution, which is all about the early uh, in 1970s, the early 1970s in California, where there's just a boom, an explosion, where the hippies were getting saved, and it was a great movie. I actually really enjoyed it. But something like 34 million trailer views of that video, 32.6 million dollars in ticket revenue. We calculated all these up, all the different posts and likes and hashtags and engagements and people going to movies. And my math is probably wrong, but there was something like in February alone, something like over 1 billion engagements about Jesus or Jesus-related content in February. It was, so, it was as if February 23 was the month of Jesus, right? Something was going on, and I think something is still going on. It was crazy to watch. I don't know if we've ever seen anything like it in our age, especially because of the spread on social media. It was wild. And everyone, I feel like right now, has Jesus on the mind, at least in some way or another. And everyone is trying to figure out who this man is. I mentioned the He Gets Us campaign, and they have different trailers or different ads where they refer to Jesus as multiple different things. One of them calls Jesus a rebel. The next is they call him a physician. One video calls him an influencer, which, you know, kind of like a play on modern day influencers. I don't know about that, but he was influential. And and finally, he, he was called a role model. And Jesus certainly was all of those things. People are, are grasped by Jesus Christ. Can we, just, can we agree whether you believe he did what he did or, or not? Can we all agree there is, there is something about Jesus that makes him compelling? He is a compelling figure in history. Some, something, for whatever reason, our people are drawn to him. Now, wherever you're at today, maybe, maybe if, you've, if you've ever wondered about who Jesus is or you've ever questioned even who Jesus is, if he was who he said he was, I want you to know, first and foremost, you're in good company. Not only at Radiant Church, we're glad you're here, but, but you're in company even with, even with those who were closest to him. Let me read a passage from, from the Gospel of Matthew. This is an account of Jesus' life. They walked with Jesus and they wrote down what he did. In Matthew chapter 16, for instance, just look, there people are still trying to figure out Jesus even when he was alive and with him. Verse 13 says this. 
when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man is how he referred to himself. Who do people say that I am, Jesus is saying? And then listen to the response here. They replied, the disciples replied, uh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Even when people, Jesus was living and walking, people were like, who is this guy and what is he all about? Even, um, even Jesus' appearance, what he looked like, is sort of a hot-button issue, right, in today's day and age. For instance, uh, many of you grew up with this depiction of Jesus, right, with blue eyes and very nice hair, I must say, for, for a first-century uh, first Jew. He's got the beard. It's well-groomed, beautiful white robe. How many of you have seen this image before? Maybe you grew up with it. Very, very popular, right? Um, did, did Jesus look like that or Perhaps, uh, does it, did he look like this? A uh, little bit more uh, darker in complexion, right? This was actually a BBC forensic uh, sketch of what a modern or what a first century Middle Eastern man would have looked like. Was it the first one? Or was it the second one? Or perhaps it was a combination of the two that kind of looked like this, perhaps. Hey, there he is. You've seen that one, right? Isn't that like a perfect combination of the two? I think it is. Anyway. Whatever Jesus looked like, he probably didn't look like this next one, though. That's actually Obi-Wan Kenobi. So <laughs> if you see that floating around on Facebook, don't share that. That's, that's, that's a Jedi, not Jesus, okay? <laughs> All right. There's a, there's a quote from A.W. Tozier, and it's, it's a pretty, pretty significant quote. He's a famous theologian, and he wrote this. He wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you agree with that? What comes into our minds when we, when we think about God, Tozier says, is, is the most important thing about us. So right now, just, just think about that for a moment. What, what is coming into your mind when I, when I talk about God or talk about Christ? What, what comes into your mind? Maybe you even want to write that down, their spot on your worship guide, to even write down, what are your thoughts on God? And is it as significant as he says? Do you agree that that is the most important thing about you? It certainly has an impact on the way you live your life, does it not? Or at least perhaps it, it should. Today, we are beginning a brand new sermon series. You came at the exact perfect time to, to kick this off with us this morning. Uh, and the sermon series is simply called Jesus, a message for all. And we're going to begin today just by stripping the layers off of who this man was called Jesus in order to get down to who he actually was. Let's be honest. We live in an age of mass information via the Internet. We can look almost anything up. But we also live in an age of mass disinformation, sometimes intentionally so. And so our goal today through this series is to really boil it down and say, who was Jesus and what was he talking about? What was his message? So to begin, we're going to start kind of from the, the framework or the groundwork of just by simply making a statement that we're going to be uh, working off of, and that is this, that Jesus Christ actually existed in history, right? That's the starting point. Jesus Christ existed. In fact, um, every serious historian in the entire globe agrees that Jesus 
at least existed as a man, if nothing more, 2,000 years ago. Let me uh, share a quote from Bart Ehrlman. He's now spoken uh, critic of Christianity. He's a New Testament scholar. Um, He wrote this. He says, he certainly existed as virtually every competent scholar of antiquity, Christian or non-Christian, agrees. At a minimum, it seems like almost all historians who are worth their weight, at a minimum, agree that he lived about 2,000 years ago in ancient Palestine or Israel, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and that he died. We can start there. That's, That's not really up for debate, if you will. Everyone agrees on that. In history aligns with scripture on this point. This is how the Gospel of John, the writer uh, John writes it in 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, referring to Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So John very, very simply put is saying, he came, to earth. He lived, right? Most historians agree. He lived, but the people didn't receive him. He was crucified. It's a nod to the fact that he died. So even John here agrees with history at this point. So let's talk about the Jesus of the Bible. We believe that the Bible does give us a record as, as believers. We give a record of who Jesus was. Really quickly, a little bit of context about who this man was. First and foremost, we believe and we read here that he was born around 4 B.C. Um, it's not exactly at 0 B.C. or A.D. It's actually, we're thinking around 4 B.C. is when he uh, was born. Jesus grew up in northern, uh, northern or sorry, he grew up in northern Palestine in a, in a uh, city called Nazareth. His father was from an ancient royal family, King David. There's very little known, actually, about his childhood. Um, We know that he was likely taught ancient scriptures as a boy, likely very good at it. Um, And he likely worked in the family business. Maybe you've heard of Jesus as a carpenter, for instance. The interesting thing about Christ is that he never traveled outside of the Middle East. He never married, never had children, and his ministry only lasted probably around three years. He got a lot done in a short amount of time. And there's some debate as to whether that was one, two, or three years. Um, but the thing we all agree on is he, he suffered a death by crucifixion on a Roman cross. And this was likely around Passover time. And this probably took place around 30 to 33 AD. But the interesting thing is that Jesus actually never wrote anything down. He, ne- he himself never wrote anything down. It was rather the people who were around him that wrote, um, wrote about his, his time. Time magazine ranked Jesus as the number one most significant person in all of history, just based on his influence alone. The Bible is the most purchased book, most sold book of all time. Jesus was the person who not only changed how we measure time and changed the calendar, but he measured the way in which we view ethics, the way we view morality, the things that we consider virtuous. There's many scholars who believe that Jesus is the one who um, invented humility as a virtue. That before Jesus, humility wasn't something that was virtuous. It was something that was kind of despised. I think that's fascinating. So regardless of where you land on Jesus, the, the simple point is this. His influence is worth understanding. This is a man who is worth studying, regardless of where you're at with him at this time. We know he existed, but the question is, who did he exist as? Who did he exist 
as? Who was he really? And again, our goal today is not to necessarily to do a deep dive into a particular passage, but just to try to begin to peel off the layers. I love the way that um, uh, famous author, theologian N.T. Wright, he poses the question in his book called Simply Jesus. And the question is simple. Are you who you say you are? Are you who they say you are? And this is a kind of a lengthy quote, but I, I think it some, sums it up so well. He writes, It is the question of who Jesus actually was, what he did, what he said, what he meant. Was Freud right to see it as just a projection of our inner desires? Was Marx right to say that it was just a way of keeping the hungry masses quiet? Was Nietzsche right to say that Jesus taught a wimpish religion that has sapped the energy of humankind ever since? And since those three gentlemen are now a venerable part of the cultural landscape in their own right, are today's shrill atheists right? To say that God himself is a delusion, that Christianity is based on a multiple mistake, that it's all out of date, bad for your health, massively disproved, socially disastrous, and ridiculously incoherent. Wow, N.T. Wright, he really sums it all up right there in that statement, doesn't he? You have so many different opinions sort of crashing down on every single one of us all at the same time. So many different opinions. Was, Was Freud right? Marx, Nietzsche, modern-day atheists, atheists, everyone has an opinion. But who has the truth about who he really was? What's the truth about what he actually did and what actually happened 2,000 years ago? I want to talk now about this idea that Jesus was, was simply just a, a, a role model, right? You remember that? He gets us the, just a role model. This is the idea that Jesus was a good moral teacher and that he had some good things to say. Maybe he's similar to, as we would view, like a Gandhi, right? Yeah, led some good things, said some good things perhaps, but not necessarily God. Um, As a matter of fact, 53% of Americans hold the view that Jesus was a good moral teacher, but he wasn't actually God. 53% of Americans believe he's a good moral teacher, the majority but he wasn't actually God. It's actually been striking to see the growth in evangelical Christians who hold this similar belief. It's an absolute heresy in the Christian tradition, but more and more people are believing this. It's really interesting. And what's fascinating is that I want to just begin to to tackle this one thing, to peel this one layer off for just a moment, add some clarity. I want to just begin to kind of maybe examine it for what it is if we could. First and foremost, we need to understand that there is some merit to this idea. Jesus was, in fact, a teacher. In fact, um, 60 different times in the Bible, Jesus is referred to as a teacher or having taught certain things. Let me just share with you from Matthew chapter 4, 23, give you some examples of this. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, that's just a region, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We'll talk more about the gospel of the kingdom Next week, part two, spoiler alert, it's going to be great, okay? Mark chapter 6, 34, again, we see Jesus as teacher. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt what? Compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What does Jesus do with people who are like sheep without a shepherd? He began to teach them many things. Finally, Jesus himself, John chapter 13, this kind of sums it up. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am, right? Jesus was indeed 
a teacher. And so half of that belief that he was a good moral teacher is, is correct. That's true. We can, we can agree on that fact. But if I may, I, I want to just, um, I wanna just begin to kind of put my weight on that line of thinking for just a second. I want to kind of press on it to see if it stands up, this idea that he was a moral teacher, but he wasn't actually God. Many agree with that. There's a couple of reasons why I think that um, this line of thinking has infiltrated and made its way into the public consensus in America. First and foremost, I think for many people, uh, many people, they recognize that we live in, in a world where there's lots of different religions, lots of different ways of thinking, lots of different opinions about who Jesus is. And I think any one person, they, will, they want to avoid what, what Wright calls as the delusion, right? Nobody wants to be made a fool. No one wants to uh, be, be criticized as believing in fairy tales or believing in something that doesn't exist. No one wants to be delusional. I don't want to be you know, called an idiot for believing in something that I, I can't see. But I think the second reason why this is such a prevalent and dominating idea and growing more and more in our culture is because it allows for syncretism to continue. If you're here and you're like, what the heck is syncretism? Uh, You're in luck. Okay, I got a definition, pulled it straight from a Google search, so you know it's legit, okay? Um, This is what syncretism is. Syncretism is the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. The attempted amalgamation of bringing all these different philosophies together. Uh, George Barna Institute, he's been studying and researching um, theology and Christian thought and culture for many decades now. This is what he has to say. According to Barna, who noted that the primary worldview dominating America is syncretism or varying combinations of all eight worldviews into one belief system. So simply put, syncretism is this. Syncretism is the idea that I, I can grab a little, bit of, of, a little bit of wisdom from my Buddhist friend, and I can grab a little bit of science and wisdom from my, from my atheist friend, and I can grab a little bit from Jesus. You know, he said some good things like, you know, love people, and I like that, and so I'm going to grab that, grab this, grab it. Maybe Islam, maybe Judaism, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to grab it all, and I'm, I'm going to attempt to to squeeze all eight worldviews, some of the major eight worldviews, and I'm going to somehow try and make it into one package and fit it all in my mind and fit it all into my worldview. It's pretty, pretty amazing what we're, what we're capable of doing, and this is, this is more and more becoming the dominating, uh, dominating worldview of, of, our, of America. Despite the fact that oftentimes these, these eight worldviews, let's be honest, completely contradict one another. They're at odds with one another. They're, they're competing by, by their very nature. So I think that's part of the reason why so many people kind of just lean into it. It's like, oh, I'm not, ready to, I'm not ready to say Jesus is God. And I get it. I understand that. No judgment here if that's you, okay? I'm not ready to say Jesus is God, but, but I do, I like him. I'm down with Jesus, right? But at least according to the gospel writers, Jesus, we need to, we need to be honest with what, what he said and what he did. Jesus, Jesus said some radical things. <laughs> if you study the scriptures at all, he said some pretty remarkable things. For instance, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is referring to Abraham who lived centuries before him. And Jesus is claiming in this concise statement, he's saying, I was alive long before Abraham even lived. 
he uses the word I am, which in uh, the Greek is the word ego and me. It's, it's, it's a nod to the fact that Yahweh, the God that has existed for centuries before Jesus came on the scene, it's a nod to the fact that God himself called him I am. Almost every Christian scholar agrees that that Jesus was making claims to his divinity. How about this radical statement from Jesus? John chapter 14. This one is tough. I'm just going to share it. This one is a hard truth claim by Christ. This is an exclusive statement. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. He's referring to God. No one comes to God except through me. Look, I get it. There's a, there's a tendency to want to, you know, take the good things of Jesus, but leave out the, the, the wonky God stuff. But, but we got to take Jesus, as, as best as we can understand from the gospel accounts, this is, this is what he said. This was his message. I am the way, he said. There's, there's no other way except through me, Jesus said. And so it becomes difficult to, to sort of say, yeah, he, he was a good guy. He, he said some good things, but he wasn't actually God. It's almost, you can't really have your cake and eat it too, and here's why. Most Christian tradition scholars and theologians believe that Jesus did in fact make claims to his own divinity. You just can't kind of skip over that part. Now whether you agree that his claims were true or not, that's a, that's a whole other conversation, but he did make claims to his own divinity as best as history can understand it. C.S. Lewis um, has some pretty firm words for those who um, try to entertain this idea in their mind that you know, he was a good teacher, but not God. C.S. Lewis, author of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, one of my favorite theologians. This is a quote. Either this man, he's referring to Jesus, either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He goes kind of hard on that. <laughs> For Lewis, it can be summarized where he's basically saying Jesus was either mad, he was loony, he thought he was God, but wasn't. He was bad, as in he was a liar, trying to deceive people, trying to rally something, or he was, in fact, God. Now, there's, there's not an airtight case for the divinity of Christ, and we're not trying to claim that it is. There's maybe Jesus was mistaken, or for instance, a lot of people say maybe the gospel writers exaggerated what he was trying to say. But, but the point of C.S. Lewis here is, is essentially this. C.S. Lewis is basically saying, in some ways, y- you either got to take Jesus or you got to leave him. You, you either got to entertain the fact and, and, and really decide if he is, in fact, God or you gotta just kind of ditch everything he said, right? You think about some of the, some who are considered some of the greatest influencers in our world, Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela, right? Uh, they all had good wisdom. They're all good moral teachers, for instance, but, but if they were to claim that they were God, you'd kind of be like, okay, dude, slow it down. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I can go there with you. It'd make you question everything else he said. And so I just want to lean on that that argument that he was a good, just a good good human teacher. Because the fact of the matter is that Jesus claimed to be God. You can't really have your cake and eat it too with that. I think every single one of us has to decide if, that, if that's true or not. Was he telling the truth when he said in John 10, 30, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father, I and God are one. 
from the Trinitarian community. There are so many layers stacked on top of Jesus, so many different ideologies and thoughts. And so for the next many weeks, for the next five weeks, we're actually just going to be kind of revealing what was it that was Jesus' central message. But we need to understand something. We need to understand that to understand who Jesus is cannot truly be done without understanding a few things first, okay? For instance, number one, understanding who Jesus is requires first and foremost understanding who he was predicted to be. Christians believe that centuries before Jesus actually walked the earth, that that he was prophesied about, that people wrote about him coming someday. Number two, if we need to understand Jesus, we have to understand the time and place in which he came. The Bible says that he came at the fullness of time. What was going on in, in ancient Rome? What was going on in ancient Jerusalem? What was the pressure like? Who were the different forces? We got to understand what was going on. To understand Jesus is understanding his actions during his ministry. Why was it that he spent so much time healing the sick? Why did he, why did he sit with the people who like everyone else was like, oh, they're, they're too bad. They're sinners. They're not good enough. Why did Jesus go and eat with them? Why was Jesus so harsh with the religious leaders at his time? Fourth, we need to understand, if we want to understand Jesus, we need to understand what others thought about him, right? That's the reason he got killed is because other people weren't so happy with the message of this whole I'm God stuff, okay? I'm king thing. And finally, number five, if we are to understand Jesus, and we're going to explore this more and more in the coming weeks, perhaps most important, we need to understand what was his message. What did he actually claim and proclaim and about who he was and what was going on? What is this whole kingdom thing that he talked about? What is this message that has captivated hearts and minds and attention for millennia? What is his message when he talks about the kingdom and how the kingdom has come here now, but it's yet not to come yet, and it's still coming? We need to understand his message of forgiveness, the idea that because of what he did on the cross, the idea that he was nailed to a cross for our sins, for your sins and my sins, as an atoning sacrifice, meaning covering over the wrong that had been done through our actions. Jesus nailed that to the cross, and by his blood pouring out, it was atoned for, it was made right for those that actually believe in him, that put their trust, they hang their life on the cross with him, they deny themselves that we can have forgiveness. And because of that forgiveness, his message was that we can then be set free. But not just set free from our guilt and our shame and that old way of living, not just repenting and moving on, but we can actually be reconnected back to God, that the veil was torn. And finally, it's not just some man who lived in history 2,000 years ago, but because Jesus came, because of the ministry of his Holy Spirit, we actually can have Christ in us in our literal bodies, living within us, speaking to us, reassuring us, giving us comfort and joy and peace. This was the message of Christ that we're going to be exploring for the next five weeks. I hope you're excited, and I hope you're ready. There's so much. Let me just, let me just say this to you. There is so much more of Jesus that is worth exploring. I don't know where you're coming in tonight or this morning with. I don't know what your history is, but there, I just want to tell you something. Whether you believe in Jesus as God or not, there is so much more of him that's worth exploring. And I, and I hope you'll just be open to that. I want to share again from Matthew 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
In other words, Jesus looks at us and he says, who do you say I am? I want to just ask you that question. Who do you, just be honest, like in your heart, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a made-up fantasy? Is he Lord and Savior of the whole earth? Is he just a good moral teacher? Just be honest. Who do you say that he is? Would you just answer that even in your heart? And be honest with yourself. Is he king over your life? Or is he something else? If you're not sure who this Jesus is, but you're prompted to know more, we just want to invite you into that. Um, We're all exploring him together. We do not have it all figured out. But we do want to journey with you as best as we can. Real quick, one final passage. Um, There's a man named John the Baptist who came right before Jesus started his ministry. And his whole job was to say, hey, someone's coming. Jesus is coming. Look out for him. And in John chapter 1, we read this, and I just want to kind of leave us with this for a moment. It says, the next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Such a good question. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Don't miss this invitation from Jesus. Look what he says next, verse 39. This is the invitation that Jesus gave to his first disciples. And I believe it's an invitation that he still gives us today. Jesus said these words. He said, come, he replied, and you will see. The invitation of Jesus is, is come, and you'll see. Come, follow me. Walk with me a little bit. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come, just come come and see. It's, it's an invitation. It's almost like he's, he's saying, you can, you can come check me out. I invite you. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so I just want to leave you with this final word that says, I just want you to know that I believe that discovering who Jesus is, who he really is, not who everyone thinks he is or the opinions of this, that, and the other, but discovering who Jesus really is may be the most important journey of your life. And I hope you're not walking that alone. And I know there's a lot of people represented today. I don't know what your, your church background has looked like. I don't know if people have hurt you in the church, if things have been said. I don't know if, if it was, you grew up in a church where it was all condemnation and no grace, or it was only hard, factual, black and white truth, and there wasn't a lot of nuance or room for doubt or room for skepticism or room for, hey, I have questions. I don't know. Maybe some of you are, are like, man, I'm just... I'm keeping God at a distance because of the things that I've done or the things that I've done have been done to me. I don't know if you think this is all just made up this morning or, or if you're a little bit curious, but I just want to say, would you consider exploring this Jesus together with us over the next five weeks? Would you consider coming and seeing? 
and I recognize that I may not, I may not see some of you again. I, I hope you'll continue exploring this Jesus. If not, if not at this church, at some church. And if not at a church, at least with his word, the Bible. And if you're not even there, if not even with a Bible, would you at least, would you at least start exploring this Jesus just with a simple prayer? And just start there, start somewhere. Because the invitation, and again, Jesus' words in Matthew 7, his, his invitation is this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened to you. That's the invitation that Jesus is calling us into. I hope you'll knock. I hope you'll seek. There's so much more to this Jesus. There's so much more to this man and his message than we could ever understand. And he is worth getting to know. I promise you that. It's worth it. Let's pray.